Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 40, please. Psalm 40. The title of the psalm this morning is, or the title of this message is, I should say, If Your Life Was a Song, What Would It Sound Like? If Your Life Was a Song, What Would It Sound Like? In Psalm 37, we looked at the seeming injustice in the world, that evil prospers while righteousness suffers, at least in the short term. We saw from that psalm that in the face of that reality, we ought to trust in the Lord and do good. Life may seem unfair, but trust in God and do what is good, do what is right. That was Psalm 37. In Psalm 38, we have a penitential psalm that is a psalm of repentance. And there David cries out to God for mercy, both from his sins and from the consequences of those sins. He bemoans the seemingly overwhelming, painful results of his sin in Psalm 38, and he asks God to free him from them. Even there, he acknowledges that God is his Lord and his salvation at the end of that psalm. Psalm 39, we didn't look at. We're going to skip over that one, but it continues the theme, kind of the theme that those three or four psalms have together, the theme of repentance, but David also delves into the pointlessness and shortness of life. David seems to be challenging God on God's purpose and plan as he considers how pointless life appears to be, and how powerful sin is. These three psalms are not exactly what we would call positive, though they do have wonderful, encouraging truths scattered throughout them. Overall, though, Psalm 37, 38, and 39 sound like a funeral dirge. More than a cheerful time or a cheerful tune, Psalm 39 particularly It's probably been used at more funerals than any other psalm except maybe Psalm 23. Psalm 39 is the one that says, Lord, teach me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. It's very typically used at a funeral. And so in those three psalms, it's it's painful, it's remorseful, it is repentance and sorrow and suffering, and particularly in Psalm 38 where David lists all of these things that are besetting him and how miserable he is. So not exactly a positive view at this point. It kind of reminds me of the song or the hymn, Softly and Tenderly. Almost every single senior service that we have done, someone has requested that song. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. And it's It's a nice song, and I understand why it is requested. I even relate to it at some points. But it's a melancholy hymn. It really is. And the music lends to that as well. It sounds mournful. Even as they're approaching the end of their life and looking forward to Christ coming to receive them, or them going to be with him. It's an encouraging and a comforting hymn, but at the same time, mournful. And that kind of summarizes... Psalm 37 to 39, encouraging and comforting truths encased in a mournful death dirge, basically. Psalm 40, however, breaks away from that in dramatic fashion, and that is where I want to focus our attention this morning. Psalm 40 is a new and an upbeat and an exciting song. It is a praise song to God from David, knowing that From David's perspective, God has heard his cry, and God has intervened. 
God has answered. So we're going to read Psalm 40 together this morning. Uh, Just before we do, let's go once again to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and gather together this morning, that as your children we have that privilege of fellowship and of communion together and of worshiping together and celebrating you together. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be your church. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have to open your word, the freedom, the privilege, responsibility there as well. And so as we open your word this morning and as we read your word, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, apply the truth of your word to our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would empty us of ourself, of our own thoughts, our own desires, ambitions, our own whatever is distracting us, and that you would help us, enable us to meet with you, to focus on you, to be transformed by you through your word this morning. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 40. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is written or is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Amen. Isn't that a different tune than we've seen in the last couple weeks? Psalm 37 to 39. Those psalms were the cry for help. And Psalm 40 is the rejoicing after God answers. And I think it literally is what it is. It is that response after he has seen God intervene. This is a praise psalm because God has heard David's cry and has intervened. Now there are some who think that this psalm completely has very little to do with David. They also think there is little to no carryover from one psalm to the next here. I don't see it quite that way. Even in our hymnals, you may have noticed as you've worked through them, 
that they're arranged loosely by themes. All the Christmas songs are together, the Easter songs are together. That doesn't mean that has to be the case here in the Psalms, but there does seem to be some continuity of thought. Those who think that this psalm is unrelated to David specifically see this psalm as exclusively prophetic, speaking only of Christ. And many of the psalms do speak of Christ. The entire word of God looks forward to the coming of Christ. That is the Old Testament. And the psalms particularly, an an awful lot of them, they are prophecies or prophetic utterances within the psalm about the coming of Jesus Christ. And they were fulfilled in Christ. And they can be read, the Psalms can be read through the lens of the cross. However, it is dangerous to make a blanket statement of that. Certainly there are portions or aspects of this, this Psalm that spoke of the coming of Christ. Uh, verse 6 to 8 are ascribed to Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is as equally inspired as Psalm 40 is. So if it ascribes it to Christ, then it must be speaking of Christ. But most, if not all of the Psalms, that were prophetic, also had what would have been a current day application. So while David is saying something that is true of the Christ who would come, it is also true in his own experience. In other words, with prophetic psalms, you should be able to read it through the eyes of Christ, in a sense, or through the cross, or through the eyes of the original author as well. So with that in mind, verse 2 could be read as speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, put me or out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Prophetic, speaking of Christ and the resurrection. Or it could be read through David's lens, who had recently bemoaned the affliction he was experiencing in disease and in the attacks of the enemy against him. And David could rightly say, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and establish my steps. It makes sense both as that present-day reality for David in seeing the salvation of God and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So much of the Psalms, many of the Psalms are portions of them, current day but also looking forward to Christ. The time that you get in trouble with that is when you try to take and ascribe it exclusively to one or the other, especially when you do that to an entire Psalm. You can do it to portions and As I said, verse 6 to 8 or 9 here is ascribed to Christ in Hebrews 10. But there's other passages or portions within the psalm that should not be applied to Christ, in in my view. In verse 12, it says, My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to look up. But Christ didn't sin. So either he's talking about the sins of mankind that Christ took upon himself, which in my opinion is a stretch, or this psalm isn't exclusively about Christ. Similar could be said about verse 7. Verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. If you think this psalm is exclusively about David, that makes for a bit of a problem. Because the word of God is about Jesus Christ, which is what it means in that verse, and not about David. So I just encourage you to be very careful in your conclusions about what is prophetic versus simply a current account of a situation, unless it clearly defines it as such. I think Psalm 40 is David speaking from his own experience about his own situations, but that God in the middle of that spoke through his written word, and at least verse 6 to 10, as a prophetic utterance. So my approach to this psalm, at least for this message anyways, is going to be looking at David's situation rather than the situation of Christ. 
and David's response to God's intervention, particularly through verses 1 to 5 and verse 16. And I want to look at this passage or those verses as simply a song and see what the content of that song is and then examine our own lives and go back to that question, if my life is a song, what does it sound like? What is the content of this song that is my life? In verse 3, David says, He, that is God, has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. He's put a new song. Praise to our God. He has just finished this death dirge of the past few songs. And now he has a new song, which is a song of praise. A song of praise to God. Isn't that refreshing? Isn't that encouraging? That even though he was down, even though he was discouraged, even though he was struggling and suffering and in pain and misery and anguish and all the rest of that stuff, that God has given him a new song. It's encouraging to me because it says to me that regardless of how low I may feel right now, but at whatever point that is, God has the ability to put a new song in my life, to put a new song on my lips, to take me from a place of misery to a place of praise, and joy. Now, the idea of a new song isn't actually, I'm not sure how else to put it, isn't actually a new song. Otherwise, every time we have a step of maturity, we'd have to, you know, write down new lyrics and come up with a new tune, and so there would never be end of, and sure, there can be songs, absolutely, but it isn't that idea, it's that change in temperament, change in attitude, change in life song. There has been a change that has happened here for David. He has gone from mourning to rejoicing, and that kind of a new song needs to happen with us as well, whether you're musical or not. Every time we make progress in our spiritual walk, we, in a sense, sing a new song. We learn something anew, and so we rejoice in it. We trust God, and we see His hand at work, and it lightens our face a little bit more. We realize God's hand of provision, and so we sing a song by our life of thanksgiving. We see God intervene for somebody else. And so we rejoice together, which is a new song, a celebration together with them. And it's amazing to me that it is God who places that song within us. This isn't David's song. He says, he, that is God, has put a new song in my mouth. Out of this death dirge, God has placed a new song of praise in my mouth. Out of whatever it is that you've come through, God has placed, God is placing, and God will continue to place prayerfully a new song in your mouth new song in your life. So sticking, uh, sorry, sticking with that theme of a song, since that's what we've been given in verse 3, what does our song look like? What does this song of David's look like? The first thing that I want you to see is in verse 1 to 2, that it is a song of deliverance. A song of deliverance. This psalm begins by simply stating what David has been doing. David has been waiting patiently for the Lord. So back in Psalm 37, when David decries the inherent unfairness of evil triumphing and righteousness suffering, what has he been doing? Waiting patiently for the Lord. Back in Psalm 38, when he's sick, under the consequences of sin and suffering with that sin and struggling with that sin, what has he been doing? Waiting patiently for the Lord. In Psalm 39, where he's questioning how pointless life is and how short it is, he has been waiting patiently for the Lord. And we see glimmers of that through those three Psalms. David says, in the midst of this unfairness, he says, trust in the Lord and do good. In the midst of his sickness, he says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's what he's been doing, waiting patiently. 
And that's a good place for us to be. Whether it's in a death dirge or in a new song of praise. To be waiting patiently for the Lord. And in that waiting, he says at the beginning of verse 40, God inclined to me and heard my cry. God inclined and heard. I think that's a beautiful statement. God inclines himself towards his children who wait patiently upon him. Do you believe that? God inclines himself towards you. He goes beyond just having an attentive ear to his child to actually inclining himself toward you. To incline yourself towards someone or something has, in my view, a couple different tones to it. If you say, I am inclined to believe that, it means you're apt to believe it, you're likely to believe it, you are predisposed towards something. God is predisposed towards his child. He is inclined toward you. He is inclined towards you. But the word also has a bit of a picture in my mind of a lazy boy. What do you do in a lazy boy? You recline. And what's that? It's a position of rest, usually of inattention, sometimes of apathy, right? You're, you have pushed back away from everything. You're at rest. God has not reclined from you. He has inclined towards you. God leans in to his children. If you are a child of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then God is inclined toward you. His thoughts are towards you. His attention, his eye is upon you. Verse 5 says, Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God is inclined towards you. His child by grace through faith. He's leaning in to you. He's attentive to your cry. David says that the Lord inclined to me and heard my cry. Not only has God inclined to David, and not only has he heard David's cry, as he has your cry, and as he is inclined to you, but God has intervened and answered David. God has intervened with deliverance for David. And the, the picture that you have here is almost as complete a picture of rescue as I can think of. God has brought David up out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and he has set his feet upon a rock and he has established his steps. That is thorough. There's a lot there. Whatever it was that had brought David low, whether it was his sin or his enemies or his sickness, whatever it was was like a horrible pit which he could not escape on his own. And it was like clay that had wrapped around him and bound him and mired him down. It was restraining him and captivating him and securing him away from what he felt was the presence and the answer of God. And yet out of that horrible pit and out of that sticky, miry clay, God has lifted him. There's, there's two impossible scenarios there. God has taken him out of things that he could not escape on his own. The pit and the miry clay. Maybe it was a pit that had miry clay in the bottom. You're doubly bound here. Okay? And David says, God has lifted me out. But not only did God lift him out, but he says that he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. So now God has taken me from this place of no foundation that is trapping me and securing me and has set me on something that is solid himself. Okay? He set me on something that is firm. I've got a good footing now. But he's also established my steps. That means he's, in a sense, cleared the path. He's removed the obstacles. He's made it clear which way I should go. He has, he's resolved this. So from this horrible pit, this miry clay, to a completely resolved situation, path, 
and firm footing. Do you get the sense of the deliverance that is being stated here? David isn't just saying, God helped me. David is saying, God set me free. And not just set me free, but God also furnished me and equipped me and enabled me with all that I need to walk rightly. This is complete deliverance. And David is singing a song of praise, a song of deliverance. God is still the God of deliverance. He is still. And it isn't just partial deliverance. It isn't just deliverance to a good 12-step program, though God can certainly use that as He desires. But He is able, and even more than able today, to deliver you. He is able to deliver you. What horrible pit are you in? Or do you feel like you're in? What is the clay that is miring you down? What is the, the sin, the New Testament says, that so easily ensnares you? What is it that's holding you back and is wrapped around your feet and is sucking you down? Whether it's something that is happening to you or something that you are initiating yourself, whether it's an outside circumstance or an internal sin, what is it that has trapped you? God is able to deliver. God is still God of deliverance. And I pray that your song of praise is a song of deliverance as David's song was. So we see that he has this new song that God has given to him. Song of deliverance. Secondly, we see in verse 4 to 5 that it is a song of faith. David makes this profound and yet very simple statement. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. The Bible in basic English translates it this way. Happy is the man whose faith is in the Lord. Imagine that. Happy. Happy is the person who is trusted in Jesus Christ. Blessed literally means happy, happiness, joy. Blessed is the man. If you've found faith in Jesus Christ, you've come to know him by faith, then peace has been brought upon you through faith. Contentment, right, is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Joy, happiness, the thrill of life and new life is found in Jesus Christ. Why is that so? And how can David even say, happy is the man or blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord? Well, sin is the source of every type of unhappiness. Every type of chaos and confusion and evil and discontentment and all the rest of that stuff, at the root of it somewhere is sin. And the only answer to sin is Jesus Christ. So those who come to him by faith can be restored to right relationship with God, who is the source of that peace and happiness and joy and contentment and all of these good things. There is no happier place than to be secure in Jesus Christ. There is no more place of contentment, satisfaction, than secure in Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And this isn't just what we'd say is salvation faith either. So it's not just a song of faith in that once God saved me. Nor is it some sense of, or just restricted to, spiritual happiness, as in blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. But very practically, it is a delightful position to be secure in Jesus Christ. It is a delightful position to be forgiven in Jesus Christ and to be accepted in Jesus Christ. It is the relationship that we were designed for. So there is a practical as well as that spiritual delight. It is good for us. Blessed is the man whose faith is in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord in being clothed in this delightful confidence in Jesus Christ, 
There is privilege and pleasure and delight. There's also some things that we must put off in this. He says, now we no longer respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. In other words, we've given up the lie that the world has to offer. We don't give preference or privilege to those who are proud. We don't honor them for their own self-elevated position. We don't think more highly of them or see them as our place for confidence. We don't value those who turn aside to lies. We don't follow after. We don't honor them. We don't revere those who lies, whose lives are wrapped up in lies and deception. Those who are all concerned about selfishness and greed and worldly success, we don't follow that anymore because we've realized that happiness is not there that what they have to offer is simply a cheap imitation of the true security that is found in Jesus Christ. We have found that what the world and the way of the world has to offer can never compare with the, the confidence of a relationship made right with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The joy of that relationship, the wonder, the awe, the privilege, the, the delight, the happiness of that relationship made right with God. So our life, our life is a a new song of trust today. He has given us a new song. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And to the one whose life is that new song of faith, of trust, we have experienced and known the good hand of God upon us. We know that he satisfies. We have seen and enjoyed his many wonderful works. We know that he cares for us. We know that he is inclined to us in thought and in deed. We know, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that God thinks about me, and he does so in delight. You are on his mind if you truly are his child, like a parent thinking of their child. He thinks of you with love and with compassion and with your best interest in mind. God thinks on you and is acting for you. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God thinks upon you. God has done wondrous things, and the area that that is most cleanly seen in, clearly seen in, is the person of Jesus Christ and his work, his mediatorial work for believers. God the Son stands before God the Father and intervenes for you. He is still working on your behalf. He is your representation in the court of heaven. He is the perfect representative because he's also that sacrificial lamb. You are secure in him. You are confident in him. So you are blessed in him. For you have made the Lord your trust. Your life is a song of faith. Now there's a whole bunch of verses here in the middle of this psalm that I'm going to skip. If you're thinking of it as through the eyes of David alone, you could also say that in verse 6 to 8, this is a song of obedience. 9 to 10, a song of conviction. 11 to 13, a song of dependence. It's continuing. There's a lot to this song. Verse 14 to 15, a song of retribution even. When's the last time you heard that in a song? God, take out your justice upon those who are, are, are evildoers or who are wicked. And in verse 17, it's a song of petition. But I want to focus for the final point here, point three, that it is a song of exaltation on verse 16. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified. Verse 16 is one of those strange verses that while it is a prayer asking God to cause this to happen, it is also an exhortation, in a sense, a command to us. 
It's a good prayer. It's, a, it's one that we can repeat. God calls all those who seek you to rejoice and be glad in you. In other words, God caused so-and-so to seek you. That's a good prayer to pray. And to be glad in you. We could correctly say that. But it's also, it would be correct to see it as a command. This command, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. So I could say, let you seek the Lord and rejoice and be glad in Him. We sing a song of exaltation to God as we do that, as we rejoice and as we encourage one another to rejoice in the Lord. We have much to rejoice in. God is the God who satisfies and secures His children. He is the giver of all reason to rejoice and to be glad. And so we should be glad in Him. We are making much of Him in in doing that because we are ascribing to Him what He actually is and what He has done. Exaltation of God is not making up lofty things about God. It is simply acknowledging how truly lofty He is, how far above us He is, how wonderful that He is. It is recognizing that He is great and mighty and worthy of praise. It is recognizing that He is the giver of life and every other good gift is from His hand. Every perfect gift is from His hand. It's realizing and seeing Him as that author of salvation, as our deliverer, as our shelter, as our place of refuge. Those who seek Him will be glad and will rejoice in Him because they will find Him and find that He alone satisfies. Let all those who seek you rejoice. And be glad in you. Verse 16 continues with both that prayer and command feature again. That those who love the salvation of the Lord should continually say, The Lord be magnified. So if you want to do that as a prayer, Lord, I pray that you would cause others to magnify your name. If you want to see it as a command, Lord, I pray. (laughs) Lord, cause us. Not even that, just as a command. Magnify the Lord. Let all those... How does it put it exactly? Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Do you love the salvation of the Lord? Then say continually, the Lord be magnified. Do you love both what that salvation is and what God has accomplished in it through you? That God in eternity past chose to reach down to broken wretched sinners in grace and mercy and redeem them from under the curse of sin. Do you love what that has done for you, that the Lord, that the Lord's salvation has been appropriated personally by you, that you know it to be your own because of His grace and mercy that has individually reached out to you and rescued you individually from your sin and from eternal judgment. Because if you know the salvation of the Lord, then there is no way you cannot love the salvation of the Lord. It is marvelous beyond our words to describe it. And so rather than try to describe it, we simply respond by magnifying the Lord. Magnifying is not taking a magnifying glass and looking at something that's really small to make it bigger. Okay, Magnifying is taking that which is beyond our sight and is massive and trying to bring it into perspective. We can even begin to understand or comprehend the sight a little bit. It's making much of something that is great, not making much of something that is small. Okay, We magnify the Lord, though. We come together and we, we say... It's interesting that he puts it that way. Let them say continually, the Lord be magnified. It goes beyond just, I want to magnify God in my life. I want to make much of it. That's very important. We should be doing that. We should also be proclaiming it. We should be in word making much of God. 
We should be in word and in song and indeed magnifying Him, exalting Him. Exalt and extol and praise and shout out the wonders. Do it loudly and unashamedly. The one who has been uh, rescued has ample cause to make much of his rescuer. You have been rescued by grace through faith. Make much of your rescuer. So if your life was a song, what would it sound like? I pray that it would sound a bit like this psalm, at least in those three portions that we looked at. Maybe not in the rest of it. But in those three portions, I pray that this new song that God has put upon your lips, that He's placed in your life, that He's made your life, would be a song of deliverance. That you've been set free. A song of faith that you are trusting in Him. And a song of exaltation that you are magnifying and that you are vocally and verbally magnifying the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the one who places a song within us, And I pray that we would be quick to sing it, to express it, to show it, to reveal it, to say, oh, magnify the Lord. We thank you that you alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise. We ask that you would forgive us when we are so quick, so prone to put that that glory and praise and honor towards other things and, and neglect you. May we be reminded that you are the one who has rescued us, that you have lifted us up out of this horrible pit, the pit of sin, the snare of pin, the miry clay of sin, and you have set our feet upon a rock. You have established our ways. And so we sing a a new song, a song of praise to the one who is worthy. We pray this in his name. Amen.